0: Good
1: morning, Rob. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic, thank you. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, be willing to come on as a guest speaker for us today. As you know, I'm Dr. Anjou Singh. I'm the president of Unity and Diversity Foundation. And we're doing this series of conversations called Difficult Conversations, um, in which I'm reaching out to people of the community um, and talking about who they are, how they identify themselves, the joys and challenges and pride of being who they are, identifying as who they are, and to share some you know, words of wisdom, if you will, with the rest of our community who may not have the opportunity to speak to folks like yourself. And one of the things we're trying to do, you know, our, uh, I guess our goal or mission in this is to get this opportunity to sort of walk in your shoes for a little bit, uh, go through bits and pieces of your life in a little bit and have the opportunity to increase our empathy and compassion uh, for what it's like to be you. Um, as our um, old uh, president Barack Obama said, we have a deficit of empathy in our country. So we're making an attempt to address that issue and uh, give our community an opportunity to increase our empathy. So, again, thank you very much for being here. Could you please introduce yourself?
0: Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm Rob Berger. I'm 49. I live in uh, central Pennsylvania, not too far from Hershey Park. I've been here for going to be 16 years in October. Um, But I'm originally from uh, Brooklyn, New York, Coney Island.
1: Awesome. So how do you identify yourself?
0: Uh, Well, I identify myself as a Jewish guy from Brooklyn, usually. That's when people ask me, who are you? Uh, That's generally how I identify myself, which is... um, ironic to a certain extent, because I haven't practiced Judaism in a really long time, probably since I'm 13. Um, But it's certainly part of my identity. Um, I think that uh, since I moved to central PA, I've probably increased uh, utilizing that description as my identity, because it's odd man out. I partly like being the odd man out. And I partly think it's my responsibility, having raised children to Um, to identify my Judaism because there's a general lack of knowledge about it here. So, despite not practicing, I think it's uh, my responsibility to talk about it.
1: It is interesting you say despite not practicing because I don't practice being Indian, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's just who I am, right? It's, you know, you can't give that up. It's part of your identity. So could you share with us your perspective as to, you know, you agreed to come on and speak to us. Sure. From your perspective, what do you think is the importance or significance of having this conversation? And I think you've already sort of alluded to it a little bit here.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I was interested when you talked about this originally, when we we chatted about this originally, because having grown up in in New York City, um, it's a very different experience uh, growing up in a big city than it is growing up not in a big city. Um, you know, there's a perception that it's a melting pot, you know, it's 8 million people living very closely together. Uh, not necessarily a melting pot, lots of compressed neighborhoods where people still really don't like each other for all the differences. So, um, despite that though, you wind up being forced, uh, by proximity to get to know each other. And so just as an example, I went to a high school, um, about an hour away from my house, Brooklyn Tech, Um, probably the best thing that ever happened and not probably the best thing that ever happened in my life because it forced me to be with 6,000 other kids from all over the city and we were all there because we were trying to get ahead academically, so we had something in common that had nothing at all to do with our differences and so um, I had exposure to people from all over the world, people of um, every variety uh, under the under the sun, varieties I didn't know existed, um, even though I was already living in Brooklyn. And I was living in a place, Coney Island, which was um, very heavily populated by immigrant groups forever, really. Um, you know, my immigrant history uh, brought my people, which were Eastern European people, Jewish primarily, through uh, Brighton Beach, which is part of the Coney Island area. Um, in the time that I lived there, that that same exact neighborhood uh, changed from um, Eastern European to uh, Korean and eventually uh, Russian Odessian, specifically, um, you know, in mass, I mean, massive numbers of people coming in and out of a neighborhood, um, which I, which was certainly not gentrified. <laughs> this was like a the starting port for people to begin their life in the United States even after being exposed to all of that as a child the Brooklyn Tech experience really opened my eyeballs to what it's like um, in a diverse world. So when you uh, talked to me about this in the beginning I thought um, you know I've never stopped living that life uh, the life of being attracted to diversity because it was an amazing thing you know as a young teenager going to high school and meeting people from all over the world it was almost like going and visiting the world Um, and it it changed me as a person so when i moved here to central pa and i realized that i was um, a significant minority um, i felt like it was my job to talk about it and you're right practicing has nothing to do with with who you are so uh so here i am I think i should be talking about it because it's the same uh, in my mind it's the same as any other difference the 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 stuff that i faced then uh, is actually less than what i face now honestly um, in terms of uh, in terms of the way people treat and look at you um, for being different my differences are easier to hide because of my skin color but the truth is uh, once you let it out that you're different people like to pick at that, so so that's why I'm here. I think it's important to talk. If we don't talk, we're not gonna move. We're not going anywhere.
1: Thank you, thank you. And that's exactly the point of view I share, that if we don't have these, what I call very intimate personal conversations where you sort of open your heart, you make yourself vulnerable, you tell people, hey, when you talk to me like this, it hurts me. It may seem funny to you, it's not funny to me. Um, and and that's the reason. And we don't get to have these conversations in a so-called professional setting. You know, your coworkers, a lot of people say, you know, I have black friends, I can't be racist. I have, you know, uh, homosexual friends, I can't be you know, homophobic. But just because you have friends and have an otherwise superfluous, cordial relationship with them doesn't mean that the inner prejudice in us has not been pushed, has not been tested. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping these conversations will help us get that in-depth Um, perspective into, again, what it's like to live in your shoes for a while and realize that from the outside what seems okay and not so significant is perceived very differently from your shoes. So if you don't mind, can you go in a little bit more depth as to what it was like for you growing up as a Jewish child in uh, New York? And you've already uh, touched upon quite a few of those. And then how was that significantly different coming in here?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, So, uh, again, New York is a, a weird place because uh, there are more Jews hanging around New York than there are in Israel. But there's a ton of Jewish people. so um, But we're not uh, anything like Israelis, typically. I mean, most of the Jews in New York are of Eastern European descent. So we don't look like Israelis. And then there are sects of Jews in New York, big populations like the Hasidic, who are... Um, uh, essentially our version of the Amish. So they look very different. Um, and there's a fairly significant amount of racism within Judaism as well as there are in other cultures. So the Hasidic people, uh, and the non Hasidic people, for example, have plenty of hate between them. Uh, so I got to see all that growing up in my particular neighborhood in, in, in Coney Island. I was actually between Coney Island, and Brighton beach. So, uh, there were a fairly high population of, of Jewish people there. Um, but it diminished tremendously over time. The time that I was there, I was out by the time I was, uh, 17. Um, but uh, nonetheless, there's still so many Jewish people in New York city that, um, there really is no oddity to, uh, being a Jew. There's, there's, there's racism. There's, and it mostly, it's mostly expressed, um, as uh um you know comments it's it's its and, it, and it's pretty universal across the city everyone's got something to say about the other guy or gal um and they're all stereotype related things so um new york city is kind of a tougher place though verbally it's a tougher place it's also a more progressive place whether you are a progressive yourself or not you're living there you are more progressive. And I know that because I have lived in lots of places. So um, so although you may be whipping stereotypes around, or they may be whipped at you, um, you're also in a place that's way more accepting of way more stuff because there's way more stuff going on. Um, you, I saw that when I moved here. I've lived in a bunch of places, Florida, Minnesota, um, big cities, small towns. The further I get away from the big cities, the more uh, I feel the difference, how different I am. So living in central PA, although there is a population of, of, of Jewish folks here, uh, there's a real lack of knowledge uh, of what Judean, Judaism even is, which is sh- striking to me, or it was at least initially, still, I guess, to some extent, because this is a very Christian place, <laughs> Um, and, and you know that, uh, so because we live in, near near each other. So, uh, for such a Christian place to not understand Judaism at all, it's a little weird. Because the first book, <laughs> did you not read the first book? Um, and that's, I guess, that's a close minded comment in itself. Uh, but that's really what motivates me here, because I'm often so in it, the difference. To answer your question a little, a little more directly. The difference is growing up. Uh, And here is growing up, it was stereotypes and comments and, um, uh, you know, questions about Like we talked earlier about uh, Shakespeare's Shylock and the stereotypes that go along with that. That's New York City. People use that sort of uh, uh, language. Here, uh, first of all, I'm not sure how many people have read Shakespeare here. That's my stereotype. (laughs) second uh there's we're not even at that point here it's what is a Jew? What is that thing? Where are the horns? Where's the tail? I hear that comment occasionally, which is kind of funny in my mind but um but to to me it's it's the lack of knowledge, it's the complete absence of knowledge, which is scarier to me, probably because I grew up with a different variety of of racism but it's frightening to me. Ignorance is much scarier to me, much scarier than um, than just outright hate. Because I, um, I think the hate's a cover-up. You know, again, having grown up in the middle of all this, it's universal. And having traveled the world, I see that it's pretty universal everywhere. I mean, a safer starting point for all of us might be just to say, we are racist. How are we gonna deal with it? How are you gonna get better? How are you gonna improve that, rather than, I'm not because I have a friend who's Jewish. I'm not because I have a friend who's Indian. I'm not because I'm a friend who's just crap. That's just a, that's a crappy story to tell. The truth is, one of our imperfections is that we manage difference with hate. It's a human trait, I don't like it, it sucks. This is the way through it though, talk. So for, for example, I, when I moved here, I, I, um, I did the instant family thing. Wife, two kids, two cats and a parakeet, all on the same day. And uh, the kids, my kids were six and seven when I met them, and the first uh, Hanukkah that came along, which is which coincidentally was uh, overlapping Christmas that year, I thought it was my responsibility to teach them, even though they knew, my whole family knew, I don't practice, I don't really do anything. I wanted them to know, um, because they also really weren't being taught much about Christianity. So to me, one of my responsibilities as an adult in a child's life is to have this conversation and to talk about where it all comes from. Um, and so we did that. And to my surprise, my wife at the time wanted to participate. So even though she too wasn't practicing any religion, she was interested once the conversation started and it was happening in the house and she was interested in an intellectual sort of way. So I believe strongly um we should be talking we should be talking about all of this stuff Um, because if we don't talk about it we're going to fight about it
1: thank you thank you and i do um want to ask you you know when there's a lack of knowledge and sometimes we have a lack of knowledge because we've had the lack of opportunity to get that knowledge Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people you know say in rural parts of india don't have knowledge of calculus and physics. Well, they never had the opportunity to learn it. Mm-hmm. How is that different from actually proactively having no desire to learn when the opportunity is all around you? Do you see that difference in this area? Do you feel that people don't even care, don't even want to learn?
0: Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh on the region. Um, I tend to be. Um, and I think New Yorkers tend to do that in general. I think we think our place is the best place. Maybe we all think that, but um yeah, I think um, the Amish here are a great analog for the any ish anywhere. It strikes me as an as an intellectual person or I think I am anyhow. It strikes me as strange that how little information I could get from a family member or a former family member of mine here or uh, work colleagues or any, really anyone, how little information I could get about the Amish, about what that life is like, just in conversation. Of course, I could read and I could, and I have, but why can I not just gather that information from people that have lived around Amish people forever, for their entire existence? And they will say, well, the Amish don't talk to you. I'm like, that's crap, that, that's crap. You many people live next door to Amish families. They raise children together. They play together, they do things together. They don't know about each other at all. It's all like a myth. It's and it's frightening because that means you don't want to know. You haven't taken the time to sit down and have a glass of water with the dude that lives next door to you. And that to me is just unconscionable. It's crazy.
1: And that's the barrier I'm hoping to try and break and start this trend where these kind of conversations become the norm in our community. That it's okay for two people to sit down and say, hey, you know what, tell me more about you. We're done with the superfluous, let's be nice and play with each other kind of a thing. Let's get down to it and let's get to know each other really nicely. And I think that, that is lacking in our community. And I think, and, and, I, and I again don't mean to be harsh, I think it's lacking because of sort of a fear of trailing on someone's toes, asking them personal questions, I'm going to sound disrespectful or nosy or whatever. We gotta sort of get over those fears and hesitations and come across as, hey, this is out of a, a genuine place of empathy and compassion. I, I can't have empathy for you if I don't know you, if I don't know what it's like to be you, correct? Because that's what empathy is. It's having an emotional connection where you can put yourself in the other person's shoes. So thank you for saying that. Um, are there any other stereotypes or myths or some painful experiences growing up or even as an adult being a Jewish that you would like to share with us?
0: You know, so I'm a very direct human being and I think I'm funny. And so I've always perceived stereotype stuff as funny first, which is not a great thing. Um, except sometimes it is a great thing. And I don't know how to say this in another way, but I think that we have a responsibility, all of us to, uh, if we want to have this conversation, this general chat about the fact that we are different and we, uh, our differences are outnumbered by our samenesses, 10 to one, maybe more. I think it's important for us to embrace the history of stereotypes, the history of the, bullshit that goes along with all of that we need to embrace it we don't have to agree with it i am not cheap because i am jewish but maybe i'm a great businessman because shylock was there's nothing wrong with that play it both ways own the history this is the kind of thing that you get when you're in a big city that you don't really get when you're out in uh away from the cities really away from the coasts away from the the borders is really what happens, and so um, yeah, having having a conversation, but also having a slightly tougher skin, and owning your own the the history that goes along with it, whether you agree with it or not, I think it's going to is critical to pushing the conversation forward, because you don't want the thing, the only thing a person to know about you, to be the one stereotype, that's definitely wrong. But you can talk about stereotypes, it's fine. It's okay for us to talk about them. You shouldn't turn off history in a wholesale way and expect that to fix uh, the problems that got us here. That's, I don't know, I don't even know how the stereotypes happen, but we all have them. There isn't a group of us that doesn't have a stereotype. And we probably don't like them, but they're there. And we need to, the, the thought that you're wrong for thinking that is not the way to get us all forward. It's just not, in my opinion. We have owned it.
1: Honestly, like- if we look into the history of any country, any culture, any religion, it's fraught with all kinds of stuff. I yep. mean, what country in the world doesn't have a painful past? They, a lot of them have, you know, seen all sorts of invasions and colonizations and plagues and disasters and catastrophes and yep. inhumanities done within their populations, you yep. know. They've differed in orders of magnitude and severity. Uh, But every country has had some history where they could, you know, be ashamed of it. You know, they're not proud of how their ancestors treated some other people. Uh, China has it. India has it. Europe has it. You Mm -hmm. know, America has it. Um, So you know what? Yeah, okay, we've had these. Let's learn from those lessons and let's move forward together. I think that's what the whole spirit needs to be right now
0: agree. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the, the unique thing about us, uh, American people, you know, people here right now, but no matter how else you identify yourself, if you're on this soil because you want to be, um, we have that in common. It, none of us have been here that long. <laughs> we just haven't. The history of the United States is not that long. And yet there has been a boatload of immigration. And it's not stopping. It is in progress right now in a way that is vast and overwhelming and beautiful and scary and a lot of other things. And again, a benefit of having lived where I lived is I saw it. I mean, think of entire neighborhoods changing in nationality three times by the time I was 17. That's insane. That's living on Ellis Island. Uh, didn't appreciate it when I was there. Uh, But the truth is now where I am in a homogenous community that has been the same for most of the 300 plus years of our existence as a country opens your eyes up to something like that. But the truth is 300 years is not that long. Great, great, great grandparents, maybe that's it. That's as far back as you go in this country. And by the way, we all got here the same way.
1: Right.
0: Better here than it was there. (laughs) It doesn't doesn't matter how what else happened. But if it wasn't better here, then you would be there. Your people would be there. So loving that is the thing that we should love in each other. Right. We are here because it was better there. And one day maybe it'll be better there than it is here and we'll all go there. But until that point, we should love each other because we have that one massive thing in common, which is way... They're way more similar than the difference of our religion. I mean, there are plenty of Christians here who don't know anything at all about the Christian that sits next to them. Though It would be silly to invest in the di- in the differences of Christianity, right? Instead, you just identify yourself as Christian. To me, that's the same the same story. I identify myself as an American first, before anything, because this is where I want to be this is the best place for me to be right now. Um, As bad as things are, I couldn't imagine being somewhere else. So um, I'd rather just fix things here.
1: Awesome. So in spite, you know, you've shared all the uh, stereotypes and some of the humiliations or painful experiences you might've grown up being identified as Jewish. Do you still, you know, you take pride in being Jewish?
0: Yeah, I do. Um,
1: Where does that pride and joy come from? What brings you that pride and joy? I, I, you I know, think you've already alluded to some of it, but if there's anything you'd like to share,
0: in my opening uh, comments, I said that difference is something that motivates me. I like being different. I like, I like being um, the odd person out. Um, as I've grown older, I've seen it as a responsibility. Uh, I've, I, it's not just my Judaism that makes me different. It's the whole path of my life, of the, the 49 years that I've, I've walked. Um, and so, you know, at the risk of being uh, trite, we, as a, as a human people, are we're a tapestry. You know, our lines, our paths cross. The Greeks called it Moira. Everyone's got a different name for it. But we are a good example, you and I. One, wishing to have this conversation. You wishing to have this conversation and inviting me is a point at which the paths of our lives intersect. Um, and I feel like it's my responsibility to enrich um, my own world and and the world around me by sharing the, the story of that walk. So it's not just Judaism, but how many times have I mentioned living in New York City? Clearly, I like that. And that makes me different. Um, but the Tech, I mentioned at least a few times. Love it. Made me different. Something that people around here can't really get their minds around. So it was important to me to take my wife and my kids, much to their chagrin, to my reunions because I wanted them to see and feel what that would be like um, in a school of 6,000 kids um, and have pride in that. So I think it's not just Judaism, but it's all of the things that make me me, most of which make me different. Um, I guess we could make an argument that all of it makes me different. So I want to talk about all of it. Um, to the extent I get anyone to listen.
1: So, as we come close to wrapping up, if uh, if there's a youth out there, you know, a young Jewish person living in the community, um, dealing with the stereotypes and the myth, struggling with trying to identify what they really identify as, you know, what they identify as, what yeah. words of wisdom would you have? How would you help them sort of step on top of that sense of say insecurity or potential fear or hate that they may be perceiving and come out the other end feeling secure and proud of being who they are however they identify themselves Jewish New York from central Pennsylvania whatever
0: Mm -hmm. so to me the strength comes in learning about the people around you not necessarily in promotion of your um bailiwick and I and and this is time that has taught me this if i want you to understand my judaism it's much easier or if i want you to understand me it's much easier for me to do that um, by asking you about you if i take an interest in your life and want to understand your life you whoever you may be will take a natural interest in understanding mine and if you don't Well, and there's a really good reason to move on to the next player because there are 330 million players in the United States to choose from. So you don't need to um, necessarily on an individual level push to get your point across. It's better to pull, I have found. If I take an interest in you, you are going to want to take an interest in me. And because that door feels shut to so many people to ask the question, What's it like? I mean, I'm an old white Jewish guy from Brooklyn, right? I should be open-minded. I don't really understand what's happening right now in gender identity. I don't. I could read about it. I could hear about it. But until I talk to more people about living it, I'm never going to know. That's the fact. So I got to ask about their lives. If I'm afraid to do that, then, um, then i should make my life available to them and it's as simple as that and i don't think it really matters what the difference is some differences are more challenging but the truth is it's all the same solution i take an interest in you and ask you about your life and your gender and your religion and your culture and where you grew up and you are going to ask me the same thing
1: i think you really touched upon a, a very interesting topic that you know you don't understand something about you know, these, uh, the, the LGBTQ community. You don't get it. But at least you have sure. that insight that you realize the only way you're going to even begin getting it by having the conversation. Right. and I think a lot of people, because they don't get it from reading about it or whatever their encounters have been, they choose to pull away from it. And I think that widens that gap that homophobia feeds off of.
0: Sure. That lack of
1: knowledge, that lack of trying to, okay, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Let me go talk to someone. And that's exactly what these conversations are supposed to address. Yes. Here, you and I are sitting in the seat and having this conversation and making this conversation available to someone who doesn't get it, but is hesitant to, doesn't have the opportunity to have this conversation, make this conversation available to them. So for me, I mean, that's that's really the, we really hit upon the crux of why we are having these conversations, so thank you.
0: Thank you for doing this, I appreciate it.
1: So one last question for people who don't get it. (laughs) You seem to answer my questions even before I ask them. (laughs) So, people who can't relate to what it's like being a white guy, Jewish guy, growing up in New York, who can't relate to that, have not had the opportunity to meet with you and understand you, but are concerned that they may unknowingly, say or do something that may come across as inappropriate to you. What words of suggestion or guidance do you have for them? What can they do or not do to express that, hey, I don't necessarily know you or understand you, but I need you to know that I respect you and I stand in solidarity with you, whatever you believe in. Because I think a lot of people, because of lack of knowledge, tend to do and say stuff that comes across as disrespectful and insensitive
0: you should publish all of the words you just used in a small credit card sized handout. (laughs) Those are the words we should all be using, right? Those words admit, at least if I heard you correctly, those words admit that I may be using words that are not words you're going to want to hear, but I'm with you. I'm down with you. That's what I heard when you just spoke. That's how we should all start because it's an admission of, not guilt, but it's an admission of ignorance up front. I firmly believe that we are all naturally, by, by, by uh, cultural training, xenophobic, homophobic, something phobic to begin with out of the gate. And yeah, maybe we're taught in our families, there is some of that, but I've traveled the world and I see how much people hate each other and they live right next door to each other everywhere. It, we're not that good at teaching. <laughs> We're not. So there's something naturally baked into us that sees difference and reacts with stupidity or hate or whatever. Owning that out of the gate is a good way to live life. So if someone is interested um, in talking and they start with words like, I may be using words here that are not the best words, that's great. Um, On the other hand, you should be open enough, especially as an adult, you should be open enough to hear those were not the best words. I can give you better words. And so I think we have a better, a, a, a good shot at starting the conversation if we can be strong enough and thick-skinned enough to get through just that opening salvo. Um, own the fact that the words that you know may not be the best and be strong enough to tell somebody that in a way that doesn't kill the conversation but pushes it forward. And I, and I think that may sound like crap, but it's not. Because if you think about the way that we talk to each other nowadays, um, it doesn't really include that. And that's an empathetic assumption. So to borrow your term earlier, um, which is really sown throughout this, this conversation of empathy, I think we should be making an empathetic assumption with each other um, when we have a conversation. Because the truth is we are identical. It doesn't look yes. that
1: way. And yet, different.
0: And yet, the way we live, the way life happens for us, is very different. So, um, we have to start with some empathetic assumption. And I think language obviously, I like language. Language is the starting point for all of that. So, we should be um, thicker skinned and willing to assume that the language we use may not be the best, own it.
1: And- Knowledge that we are ignorant. See, the, another thing I'm seeing very commonly thrown around during this hate conversation is accusing each other of being ignorant. Let's start off the gate Say, hey, yeah, I am ignorant. Correct. So I'll right. own it. Because okay. I genuinely, truly believe it's not possible for everyone to know everything. It's just not. I Sorry. mean, I've, I've gone to college and school my entire life. I, I literally consider myself institutionalized, I've, you know, but then my, my part of knowledge is in the field of science. I don't necessarily know a lot of history. Yes, I pursued history in school and yes, I've read something, but I'm not, I don't know everything about from a historical perspective. I have been interested in cultures and religion. Again, I wouldn't call that necessarily my strength. So every time I learn something new, what I really learn is how little I know about that topic. So if right. we all start out the gate, you know, put our prides aside, put our egos aside and say, hey, you know what? Yes, I, like for me, I'll say, yeah, I grew up in India. I, you know, I didn't have a lot of Jewish people around me. I don't know nothing about Jewish people. Let's right. start with that. So I opened the gate telling you I am ignorant. Please educate me. I think if we have that attitude, that will take away so much of the judgment and hate <laughs> and just, you know, so yeah, I am ignorant. Uh, it's educate it's- me. If we can all get to that place, it would make life so much easier, I think.
0: I couldn't agree more. I I can share one anecdote um, and then I will stop yapping. So um, I I would say that the uh, Odessian immigration wave, the Ukrainian immigration wave in Brighton Beach started in earnest probably 86. I'm making that up, but I was a teenager. And (laughs) when it happened, it completely overwhelmed Brighton Beach. so Brighton Beach had been uh, the relics of old white European people and then all of a sudden very young, much much younger population of uh, Ukrainian people moved in um, and all the storefronts, the signs became Russian. I thought they were Russian. everyone thought they were Russian. They didn't want to be called Russian. <laughs> How the hell would we know (laughs) that everybody's like, put it's written in Russian. (laughs) The truth is, the the safe assumption all the time has to be, I don't really know, until you tell me, or until I ask you. I mean, and these people didn't speak English, so it would be difficult. It would be very difficult for them to just come tell you. Because they, by and large, spoke no English. They were the first wave of immigrants running the hell away from their country, and they landed right in my neighborhood. If you want to get past that, if you want to understand, talk and assume that you don't know, Uh, because you don't. There's no way for me to know. I couldn't know a thing about until I traveled to India. I had no idea that India was a zillion little countries. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know there were millions of languages. I didn't really know. I knew it was India, I could point it out on a map, I knew the capital, not enough. You're, you're so accurate when you say we should assume uh, ignorance. It's a much safer starting point. It's a, and it's easier for you to develop the information that you need as a human being um, from that starting point than all of these beliefs that you think you have, that you have amassed over time to fill the void of actual knowledge. Just start with ignorance, I think that's brilliant.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. This was wonderful talking with you. And I think we really hit upon so many very important issues here. So I really enjoyed this conversation with you and hopefully we'll have more conversations.
0: I hope so. Thank you. Thank you
1: so much. I look forward to uh, speaking with you again soon. Me too.
0: Take care.